Shalom from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to Conversations with Yael Podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each month, I will invite leading thought leaders, pastors, rabbis, and other influential guests to discuss the importance of Israel in the world today. For those familiar with my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, which explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith, this podcast takes that understanding and translates it into ongoing support for Israel among Christians and the critical need to nurture that support with the next generation of Christians. Join me now as we begin this important dialogue. Today, I welcome to the podcast a longtime friend of both my father and myself, as well as a longtime friend of the fellowship, the amazing, inspiring Bishop Paul Lanier. Bishop Lanier is pastor of Hope Community Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and he has faithfully served as a board member for the fellowship before becoming chairman of the board in 2019. We have been so blessed with his leadership. During his tenure, the fellowship has faced some of its greatest challenges, the difficult transition in leadership following the unexpected death of my father, fellowship founder Rabbi Echiel Eckstein, the pandemic and its global impact on Israel and our donors, terrorist attack on Israel, political upheaval both in Israel and the U.S., and so much more. Through it all, Bishop Lanier has been a rock for me and for the fellowship, along with all of our donors and followers who he has inspired. His huge heart for Israel and the Jewish people has been an inspiration to me, and I know that it will inspire you as well. Bishop Lanier, welcome, my friend, to our podcast. Oh, thank you so very much, Ayel. It's always such a joy just to be able to spend time talking with you. All mm. that God's doing through this extraordinary ministry. Wow. So much of it is because of you. And I, I am so excited to have this talk today where um, on top of our prayer calls that you get to interact with so many of our followers. And I know at Hope you get to reach so, and inspire so many people. But today we're going to go a little bit more into your personal feelings and uh, history and, and how you why you think that the fellowship, Jewish-Christian relations is so important and so much more. So I'm excited to have this talk with you, Bishop. This is wonderful. I'm excited. Okay, great. So let's start from the beginning. You've served on the Fellowship Board of Directors for many years, and now you are our amazing board chairman. Could you share with our listeners how you got involved with the fellowship? Wow. Um, as you know, as a Christian, we, we uh, observe and celebrate on uh, Sunday. And as a pastor, I minister on Sunday mornings. And usually Sunday nights are, are a heavy time for me. And, and so I don't sleep that much. And I'm thinking about the service and our wonderful people. And so I often will come back downstairs from our bedroom into the living room or den and I'll sit on the couch and flip on the television. And usually at three in the morning, there are these innumerable uh, infomercials that are, sell uh, that are selling anything you can imagine. But I'm sitting there, and I don't even know how many years ago it's been, a decade more, maybe 15 years. And there's this man standing there. 
And I didn't know at first he was a rabbi until the graphic came up and, and uh, introduced him as such. And I was stunned because he wasn't at all what I was expecting a rabbi to to look like or to sound like. I, I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> I was I thought, you know, he's going to probably have a long white beard. But he's, <laughs> he's, he's standing there in, um, in Ukraine. And he's with this elderly woman, maybe in her 90s, a Holocaust survivor. And uh, it, you can feel the aloneness. And he... He talks about the stench of the place, of being so destitute and broken and, and hurting and all she's been through and suffering. And you can feel the cold, even mm-hmm. sitting on the sofa. And, and I listened and Yael, this was your father. Mm-hmm. And um, the more he spoke, uh, the more he had me. And I often tell people, which is an odd phrase, for a Christian to make, but your father, my rabbi, was saving my soul because he was not simply introducing me to the most horrible situation, but he lovingly, tenderly was giving me a chance to to leave my couch and to step into Ukraine and to walk into this little cold, frozen space with this woman who's seen far too much suffering and he invited me to be a part of her conversation God's conversation with her and I was in I mean I was just non-negotiably in it was over and the next morning I said to my wife I watched this rabbi and he was sharing the story from Ukraine and he offered the opportunity for viewers to participate. And I said, I I want us to do this. And she was all in. Then I shared it with our congregation and said, listen, we all know about Israel. And this event that I watched was not in Israel, but it mm. directly speaks of Israel to us and our faith. And so we then as a people began to participate. And now it's it's been all these years, but it all started um, sitting on a couch in the middle of the night, watching a rabbi in Ukraine promising a Holocaust survivor there was reason to wake up one more morning. Wow. I, I have the chills just listening to you because ah, you, you, it's not, you know, my father used to always say about me, Ellie, you caught the vision, you caught the mission, mm-hmm. you caught the passion. And it sounds like, Bishop, it was something that was always in your heart, but it was just, for some reason at that time that God showed you the next stage oh, yes. in life where you're able to be so relevant and impactful, both through prayer, through first getting involved with hope, financially supporting, bringing yes. Jewish people home and blessing, um, saving the lives <laughs> and blessing yeah. those elderly in the former Soviet Union. But I know that when you saw my father on television, isn't really where the love for Israel and the Jewish people began. What are, what are the roots of your love for Israel, Bishop? Hmm. Well, as you know, I am a Christian. And so as part of the Christian experience, most Christians will spend a time on Sundays sitting in what's called Sunday school for children. We'll be sitting in there. It's the stories. And um, learning what happened at Machpelah, at the burial of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and Sarah, and Rebecca, and Leah, and what happened at Bethel with 
with Jacob, with the heavens open and the angels ascending and descending, and Shechem, and um, and Shiloh, Shiloh, and and as a Christian, Bethlehem, and and Nazareth, and um, so it, it, the conversations between heaven and that land became personal for me. I was allowed to step into a, a con, an ongoing conversation. And, and got to not only listen, but to participate in. And that place was where my own faith was being hammered out. And uh, I don't know how else to how else to describe it. The ongoing conversation became personal to me. I, I was able to tap into something. So Bishop Lanier, I hear your amazing testimony of how you connected to the fellowship, the amazing hand of God and showing you exactly at that time on the television, that little old lady in Ukraine and my father who ended up really touching your heart and changing all of our lives because of it. Um, but I know it's, it's so, it's, it was personal for you even before that. I remember when I was at your house, you were talking to me about the, the Brooklyn rabbi, the Lubavitch. And I remember you brought kosher food to your house in North Carolina, and we sat with your amazing wife and and your, wow, inspiring son, that apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as your daughter was in Israel, as rockets were flying. And I remember feeling that that for you and your family and your household, and then when I, you know, met the Hope community, for everyone at Hope, that Israel is something that's not this esoteric faraway land, but it's something that's personal for you. It's something that you feel a personal connection to Israel and the Jewish people. And so I know going to Israel for the first time must have been a really powerful experience. Could you tell me a little bit about your first visit to Israel? When it was, what were your first impressions? What did you feel? Well, you know, it was really strange, Yael. We, um, my wife and I get a call from a pastor friend who's taking a group, and he has two people back out. And he said, look, I've got two seats that are available. I think if you could come up with maybe it was $500. This was in 1995. Oh, wow. And he says, if you could come up with $500, then you're in. <laughs> well, we came up with $500. The holy thing was we did not land in Tel Aviv. We did not land in Israel at all. We land landed in, let's just say, another country. And so my whole experience with the conversation with Israel as far as on the ground, boots on the ground, was radically different. Wow. I mistakenly, when we landed, I thought, this is Israel. <laughs> and and my, my mind, this is terrible. I'm just going to tell you, I'm thinking, my mind was, why doesn't, why don't all these people just pack up, move to Utah and start over? What's the big wow. deal? I did not get, I did not understand the, the intensity because I was not yet on that soil. Wow. And that soil, I mean, as soon as you cross the border, you you immediately begin to discern that soil has a soul Mm. and it's a living thing. And it's not just the stage. Israel is not simply the stage where all these extraordinary stories are played out. It's actually the soil itself is one of the primary actors in this story. And it has its own voice. Um, its own desires. It's, it, it responds, as we know, when its owners returned, that land responded yeah. and grew and prospered and bloomed and blossomed. So when I, when I first got there, it was not good. 
um, when we landed in another country. But as soon as we when we were there a day or two, and, it, and the people were fine, they were very nice. But it just it kind of skewed what I was expecting. Then when we stepped into Israel, I'm like, ah, home. My soul wow, you felt the difference between being inside totally. on the holy soil of Israel versus somewhere oh, close by. Wow. <laughs> exactly. It was it was conversing. It was speaking. And I had been listening for it, but I wasn't I wasn't in the room where it was talking until I was. Wow. Wow. And so when you got back, Bishop, what was kind of that one thing that you wanted to tell your family, your church, and kind of everyone that you could, what was the message from Israel that that you came back with wanting to just spread to the world? You know what? Uh, wow. It's, as they say, it's kind of like trying to drink water from a, a fire hydrant. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so overwhelming. And you realize probably what you suddenly want to do isn't going to be nearly as effective as the subtleties. Mm. And it's it's kind of like, I'm going to tell you everything I know today, and we're going to show you f- films that we took and show you souvenirs and have all these. But really, you're going to see the change the next week and the next month and the next year because it it gets into the DNA of your faith and uh, of who you are as a person and a believer so that you don't even know, you may not even specifically be referring to Bethel or Shiloh or Jerusalem, but the experience, the exposure, the encounter is going to be undeniably obvious when you speak about anything related to scripture. I can so relate to everything that you just said. I'm sitting here like, wow, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's it's something that, that it's so hard to put into words and it's so hard to put in yeah. videos and so hard to put in pictures and you just want to capture that feeling that you have and you realize that there's no way to do it it's something that you could only experience and what i always say people always ask me like yeah when you talk how do you what's what's your goal when you talk about israel both with the jewish community and christian community and everyone who lives outside of israel you know my life is dedicated to giving people outside of israel a taste of israel and they say what's your goal with it and i always say I want to show them, I can't explain it in words, but I want to show through lots of different details coming together why I made Aliyah, why I picked up my comfortable life in America and moved to the Middle East war zone. And it's not because of the politics and it's not because of anything else besides this is home. And home can be can be felt and it's very hard to put into words. So we try to kind of gather those details that, like you said, when we talk about Shiloh, when we talk about Jerusalem, suddenly mm-hmm. that feeling returns even when we're not physically standing on this soil. It has its own oxygen. Hmm. And it's it's um, it's like I said, when we landed outside, uh, I didn't... I didn't feel the connection, but 11 days later, when we were getting ready to leave, everyone on the trip is weeping wow. because you've had this supernatural encounter and conversation, and you know you couldn't be the same if you wanted to. And you become hypersensitive yeah. from that moment on to every new story. Every time you hear Israel or Jerusalem yeah. or any, all of the dramas going on in the world, you are immediately uh, alerted in your spirit 
that I, I know that place now. Right. It's not simply a, a map or a, you know, a news story. I know that place. I met people. I ate the food. I walked the soil. Yes. I slept in that place. You have a, you're a part of the ongoing narrative now. Wow. Wow. It's amazing because I hear so many people, Jews and Christians alike, say, I've never been to Israel before, but somehow when that plane landed on the soil of Israel, I came with so much trepidation. I came with so much fear. I came with so much uncertainty. I came with anxiety and in the unknown and everything I've heard and read. And and the second that plane touched down on the soil of Israel, there were two words that spoke to my soul. I'm home. And I've heard that from yes. Jews and Christians alike of whatever you do to prepare yourself for a trip to Israel you just can't prepare for that feeling that you have when you first step foot on the holy soil. So, and it's something I still experience to today. Actually, last night, um, yesterday I had a, a event in Jerusalem. I was with the mayor of Jerusalem, and the fellowship donated um, seventy-two defibrillators for at-risk places oh, wow. across Jerusalem, and and all of them say donated with love from Christians in America. And it was so cool to see, you know, wow. Christians literally saving lives in Israel, along with the food, along with the medicine, yes. literal defibrillators yes. to save lives. And, um, and I got home at around 1130 at night because I live around two and a half hours away from Jerusalem. So I, I walked in 1130. I was really tired, ready to go to sleep. And my daughter standing there awake and, and dressed. And I said, you know, looked like she was about to go out somewhere. I said, Mara, it's 1130 at night. Are you going out? She said, mommy, my soul needs a connection with God. And we are in oh, we are in the month of wow. Elul. It's the month leading oh, up to Rosh Hashanah. Wow. And so in synagogues around Israel at midnight, they're doing a special ceremony, what's called Slichot. Oh. It's where you go and you pray for forgiveness before the new year. And so I want to go to Slichot and I want to pray for forgiveness and reconnect my soul before Rosh Hashanah. Oh. I know that Billy Graham once said, every year during their high holy days, the Jewish community reminds us all of our need for repentance and forgiveness. So I wanted to ask you, Bishop, as someone who is so connected to the Jewish calendar, that which is really the lunar calendar um, and the biblical calendar, what lessons have you learned from the practices and observances of the High Holy Days? Wow. Um, you know, Yaya, when you're talking about your daughter and, and, and this extraordinary, this, this otherness, that speaks to her and says, I, I want to engage the glory of the Lord in some way. That that hits me here, you know, in, in 2021, and I'm here in the United States. And it's easy for me to not discern an ongoing conversation. And what I mean is that that experience you had with your daughter is a recent thing, maybe yesterday, maybe last night. But what's amazing is, is from the dawning moments of creation, it moves me that when he's when he's flinging the stars in the heavens and he's placing the sun and the moon, and it's the Moedim. It's these appointed times before there was Adam and Eve, before there were was the people to celebrate, he was preparing the celebration. Mm. Before there was the family and and all of these people and nations. Our God was already creating, beginning with Shabbat, he was already creating these glorious moments in our calendar to say, I've already scheduled you into a conversation with me. And how does an eternal God relate to a planet that's, that's 
I don't know, people with dying. He does it through generations. That's that's the only way eternity can relate to mortality is through generations. And so I love the fact that in, as we're approaching the high holy days, that and we're talking about fasting and praying and celebrating and all of the particulars, that none of that is done in the vacuum. And it's not like, hey, I think I've got a great idea how I can approach God. Before our mama met our daddy, before there was any human conversation, God was saying, I'm, I'm going to place within the calendar already these moments for you and I to commune and for you to know how much you love me. And for at least three times for you, uh, you to come to Jerusalem and never come empty handed. Mm. What I hear you saying, Bishop, which is such a beautiful concept, is that God created the world for repentance and already said, I have given you forgiveness. God was there beforehand saying, I am always here for you to return to me. And that is such an inspiring message for our generation that there are especially so many people who have sunk so low that God's saying, I'm always here for you to return to me. I'm just, I'm just waiting for it. I already created that channel before I created the world that you can connect to me. Yes. Yes. Isn't that glorious? He was not going to let anything. He already prepared Mm. for us healing before sickness ever came. Yes. He already prepared for us all the answers before we ever had a question. (laughs) And I've looked up to the heavens and I said, this could only happen in Israel, that a teenager who spends the days surfing and shopping and doing cool things like every mm-hmm. other kid, mm-hmm. when it comes to be midnight, wants to go and pray in the synagogue for, you know. <laughs> That's extraordinary. I mean, how many parents, you know, would give anything to have a child that says, hey, I'm not going to bed. I'm not watching television. I want to pray. I want to connect. It's And, and when you're talking about, like, as you were about Israel, when when you were here and my daughter was there during yeah. the war back in 14 and people would say, aren't you worried? Aren't you afraid? Your daughter's there. And I said, listen, she's in the absolute, the war's going on, the rockets are all of that drama, but she's in absolutely the safest mm. place on the earth. Wow. And to say that with your own child there. And and I know also she was safe because you were covering her in prayer. I remember oh, yes, sitting in the middle of dinner and how many times did your red, red, uh, yeah, the red siren alert go off oh, yeah. that suddenly, it yeah, did. there's, we, we got word all the way in dinner in North Carolina over yes. Chabad food. We got word that yes. a rocket was just launched and we would stop and pray. And sometimes it was oh, five yeah. times in 10 minutes and sometimes it was, and it didn't matter what happened. I saw how you stopped and you were, you were during a fast then also, I remember that Bishop and you were during a fast and you would stop. It didn't matter how often it was. It wasn't a distraction. It was actually a continuation of our fellowship. I tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking, okay, Rabbi, uh, your daughter's here (laughs) and I'm praying for her and my daughter's there. So you'd better be praying for her. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes. And, and we are always praying for your family who's always traveling around the world. Every time I speak to, I say, Bishop, where are you these days? Where's your son? Is your daughter still preaching in church? Your wife just supporting everyone. So that's amazing. And, and, And what's really cool for me, Bishop, is how, you know, and I think this is the power of, this is the power of God, you know, and, and when you connect to God's mm. word, that, that it, 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 it connects people. 
you know, that things that don't make sense suddenly make sense. That I always say whenever I hear two conflicting things, I sometimes I'll say this is true and this is true. But you know what? We are a paradox. We're body and soul. We're physical and spiritual. And sometimes the deepest truths are paradox. And so the fact that Jews and Christians can come together over Israel, over God's word, over quoting Psalms, over prayer for our children is something that I think for thousands of years sounded like a faraway messianic dream. And I hear you speaking and I see what we're doing and I say, praise God, we've gotten there. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Well, your father, you saw it. I don't know how much he, he saw, but he could feel that that there was so much we had in common and we were so busy tripping over our differences mm. that we couldn't see those commonalities and and the differences exist yes of course they exist but they don't have to be walls and your father was determined and passionate and obsessed with building bridges and connecting conversations and one of the reasons is is the commonality of of the battle that we have many of the same enemies and if I don't protect you and you're not praying for me, neither one of us are going to survive. Mm. The, the, the people who despise Israel despise Christianity. And so it behooves both of us to say, you know what? We got challenges. We got issues. And they're real. They're very, very real. And there's a lot of ugly, horrible history. But the mysteries of what God wants to do between us and with us is so much greater. Amen. Amen. It's it's really it's really inspiring to hear you talk because as a Jewish woman listening to to a Christian pastor who couldn't be more connected to God, connected to your roots, to your faith, authentic in everything that you say, I relate to everything and that's the beauty of mm. this um, of this conversation of finding the commonalities and and dwelling on that. And it, it leads to the next question that I wanted to ask, actually, um, uh, uh, a few things. First of all, in what ways has learning about the Jewish faith, I know in, in the Christian Bible, it says very clearly that um, Christians are grafted onto the rich olive tree of Israel. Yes. So how has, um, how has learning about the Jewish faith enriched your walk with God? And how do you think that we could pass that on to the next generation that seems to be moving a little bit far away, not only uh. from faith, but also maybe their biblical roots? Uh. Wow, that's a that's a double barrel <laughs> question. It's it's um, you know, there's there was there's so much ugly history um, of where my my faith Christianity was on the wrong side of things, and um, you know, centuries centuries ago, and we would step away when persecution was coming, and then. Our own persecution, Rome was just coming against us and, and inflicting and unspeakable, the lions, the fires, the, all of this stuff. And so when finally Constantine and other voices started saying, hey, we're going to step back from persecution, but you're going to make these concessions. Mm-hmm. And we were so desperate for the for the persecution to end, we signed on to some things that were horrible and stripping our Christianity of its distinctive. And that was by 
telling Jewish people they couldn't speak Hebrew, circumcision was forbidden, uh, Shabbat, uh, the high holy days. Uh, so much of what made a Jew a Jew was stripped from them. And it was also ripping so much of the heart and soul of Christianity and down through the centuries. And then you get all, of course, to to the, the Holocaust. 72% of, of the Nazis identified themselves as Christians. How, the miracle, you know, Moses parted the Red Sea, but that's no big deal when you put it up against, <laughs> hey, but, but, but Jews and Christians are sitting down together and saying, what do we have in common? That's some, you want to talk miracle. That's profound. Yes. And it's a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable in that the land belongs to the one people of Israel and Jerusalem belongs, is the holy city, is that one city that belongs to the one people of Israel. And those are, those are it matters to God. I, as getting where I am in my age, there's a lot of people my age who were looking and saying, what truly matters in life? What matters to God? What have I got to do to get there? And looking at a generation that's coming on, that's, that's being blindsided, and I hate to say brainwashed, but they're on the wrong side of the question of oppression and they're on the wrong side and they're seeing what the media 24 seven is wanting to, to indoctrinate them. And there's such a desperate need to help our young people know if you believe in God, if you believe in Jesus, then you got to hook up to this thing of understanding Mm -hmm. what the land is. And your father, the rabbi of blessed memory is the one that taught me Matthew 25. I think it is to where when, when Jesus is saying, if you want to please me, please God, if you want to please God, you've got to help the least of these, my brethren, feed those in, that are hungry, visit those in prison, close those that, he said, as you do it to the least of these, my brethren, the Jewish people, you're doing it unto me. Powerful. And so as a Christian, the most Christian thing I do is support Israel and to defend the Jewish people. I have, I I always, every time I hear you speak, I, I, something physically in me just lights up and is inspired and hopes for the future. Because there's one thing of, you know, reading the data and the data definitely looks sad and depressing. And, but then when you hear leaders like yourself speak so passionately um, so authentically speaking that in a way that gets down to truth with a capital T, I know uh, just like it says in the Bible and the prophets, there is hope for your future, says the Lord, right? Uh, and the children will return to their land. And I think that that the Jewish people coming home is not only hope for the future oh. of the people coming home, but hope for all people who believe in the words of those prophets, for all people who have that's read everything. Yes, yes. That's every my, my favorite word in all the, uh, uh, the language is hope. Mm. I named two daughters hope, one who is dancing in the streets of heaven and one who's ruling and yes. reigning in my life. Yes. And, and I named this ministry hope. Uh, it is this blessed hope that we have. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, and, and that's what it comes down to. You know, it's, it's also, it's funny cause it, it's so divine, just like I think everything else in your life, Bishop, um, because I don't know if when you, 
kind of took on this theme for everything you've invested in and loved and has uh, really brought you where you are today, it sounds like. I've heard you a few times go back to hope. Uh, that's the word you yeah. use. And I don't even know if when you started this journey of bringing hope into your life that you even knew that Israel's national anthem was Hatikva, which means uh, <laughs> hope. So it's very connected. It's it's glorious. And, and uh, as you know, Yael, when we started participating in the fellowship, started giving, my passion then was to, to help Holocaust survivors who've seen, suffered too much, and to be a part of them, that, that some of them before they taste eternity, I want them to know as much as I've been through some of the food, clothing, medicine came from a Christian. Yes. Doesn't make it all right, as you hear me say so often. We can't, we can't rewrite history, but we can add new mm -hmm. chapters. But then we stepped away from simply the, the Holocaust and the orphans, which both are Christian. For, for the Christians that are listening, that is a big piece of your faith, my faith. In the little book called the Book of mm -hmm. Jude, he says that, that uh, this is pure religion, to take care of orphans, right and widows. So that's a big piece of what we are. But for me personally now, the hope is Aliyah. Mm. It's the most prophetic yes. thing I can do. So yes. every penny my family, this congregation gives, everything goes to finding Jews, enabling them, empowering them to come home. It's the most prophetic thing we can do to participate in what God's doing. In Amen. The Amen. I feel it. I feel it living here in Israel. And I grew up, I grew up in a you know Jewish community in Chicago where everyone was mostly um, came from kind of first or second generation Holocaust survivors, mostly came from Europe. Everyone really kind of worshiped the same and looked the same. And uh, it, it, was, it was a very kind of insular community, um, which, which is beautiful and special in its own place. So, um, so, so it's, it was a beautiful upbringing that I had in America and growing up in Chicago. But when I made Aliyah, I never realized just how diverse the Jewish people are. We read about the different tribes. We studied the different tribes. We know each tribe had their own location. They all look different. They all had different even kind of powers that they would use in war, that they were, each tribe was very different. And they were united under this one umbrella of being the tribes of Israel. And when I came to Israel for the first time, that came to life. That How many people from all over the world, how many Jewish people are gathered here in Israel from Ethiopia, from India, from Iraq, yes. from Egypt, from Morocco, from America, from Canada, from France, from the former Soviet Union, from Russia, Ukraine, from Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, wow. Wow. that, that wow. you realize, just like you said, that is the hope. Aliyah is the yes. most prophetic thing we could do, that it brings us back to when those tribes were together in Israel thousands of years ago, and God said it will happen again, even though you're exiled to the banks of uh, the Ethiopia and you're sent out to India and you're going far out to Spain and you're being taken all over the world, one day you'll gather here again that when I walk down these streets, even 16 years after making Aliyah that I've lived here and have birthed four children here, raised four children here, I look around and I still say, Lord, your prophecies have come true. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, um, when I was growing up, I had blonde hair and blue eyes and so much of of Europe, European um, 
paintings and art of Jesus always presented him as this blonde-headed, blue-eyed Jewish guy. And, and the more you begin to study, you realize that's not Israel. That's not Israel. I mean, right. you could probably are, find some one, blonde-headed one small blue part. Eyes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. But then when I'm in Israel, I have these beautiful Ethiopian children from a fellowship orphanage right. who come run, grab around my <laughs> leg, and I pick them up and throw them up in the air. And they're laughing and singing from the tribe of Dan. It's just glorious to realize the diversity. But but our God, God is the God of diversity, but not these differences. Right. It's his brilliance, it's his, um, his omniscience, the, the, the wonders of his creativity, and, and all of this diversity, none of it was a mistake or an accident. Every piece of it is intentional. Amen. There's a reason I am a 61-year-old white man living where I'm mm-hmm. living. It's for the assignment of God upon my life. There's a reason you were in Chicago, now living at the at the age that you're a mother, that you're a wife. All of these particulars, none of them are accidental. Each part of them has to do with your assign your 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 conversation with the Lord, mm-hmm. but also your assignment by God. You can get into places and have conversations and pursue things I can never do. And so God uses the diversity. He seeds it. He plans on it from the very beginning. And we need to be able to appreciate the diversity without making differences out of it. Wow. Wow. So so each person celebrate by each person celebrating where they came from, how exactly how God made them, we can come together yes. under this one banner in order to be different, but united. I think that's a beautiful and very relevant message, especially for our times. Yes, yes. And, and when you look at the glory of Israel, as we talked about Aliyah, Aliyah brings every day more and more of the diversity home. Yes. It brings home pieces of Israel that, that had not been there, and they're coming home so that home is truly becoming home, and that the state of Israel is becoming the nation of Israel to where more Jews are inside the borders and the promise than outside. Right, right. Right. Uh, it's We are living in awesome times <laughs> that we can just like yes, have ma'am. a conversation yes, like ma'am. this. First of all, me sitting here in Israel, you sitting in Carolina, North Carolina, <laughs> yeah, speaking to people around the world as we're just talking about God's prophecies coming to fruition, you know. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Yes, what awesome time. So Bishop, I have two last questions for you. I know I can talk to you right. forever and I know we'll have many more opportunities. And I know that also all of our listeners are going to be excited for you to come back again. But I have two uh, last questions for you. Number one, right. um, what is your go-to Bible verse? Oh, wow. Well, I'm I'm Christian, so if, if it's okay, I'll have Please. two. One from the Hebrew Scriptures and one. The Hebrew Scripture for me would be David. It would be Psalm 27, where he's basically saying, there's, there's one passion in my life, one desire, one obsession. It's to be in the house of the Lord and to gaze, to be in, in the Shekinah, to be in the presence of the Most High God all the days of my life. That's my passion. And then as a Christian, it would be where, where Jesus is saying, look, you know, a bird can't fall out of a tree and die without God attending its funeral. Mm. And so why are you obsessed about clothes and food and all of these other things? And the verse is Matthew six thirty three, where he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God mm. and his righteousness 
and all the other things will be added unto you. So for me, both of them are about being not just surrounded, but saturated in the glory of the Lord. Beautiful. And they're both about also um, what stands out to me about our responsibility to seek the Lord and then to dwell there. That that we have a responsibility in this relationship, just like any relationship. We have to seek the Lord. And once we seek him, you will dwell there all the days of your life. And it's a oh, beautiful yes, message that really is consistent both in the Old and New Testament and so relevant to yes, our lives ma'am. today when when we when I hear so many people asking, where's God? And I think of the yeah. old Jewish saying, wherever you let him in. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, well, Bishop, could you end, please? Your prayers are always rocking the heavens. Can you end with a prayer for all those listening for our friends in America, for our friends in Israel and around the world who, who I know are inspired yes, by you. Almighty God, I would love to see the smile that must be on your face at this moment because your children, the seed of Abraham, different parts of the world, the miracle of technology are able to converse. And what do we choose to talk about? you and your promises to to a people, to a place, the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and those of us who've been grafted in, not as the root, but as an extension, that you allow us to to step in and say, hey, I get to be a part of this conversation. Thank you, oh God. Now, I I celebrate and I thank you for this extraordinary International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. It was a promise. And every day it's becoming more manifest. I thank you for Yael. I thank you for her family. I thank you for every fingerprint and every person willing to be a part of what you're doing on the earth through the fellowship on behalf of Israel. Almighty God, surround, hover, keep safe from every harm and danger. May no sickness or disease, no plague come near your dwelling. And may each person listening to our voices now be fully convinced that God loves you. He is obsessed with you and does everything possible to bring you nearer. And as we speak of a chosen people, as Yael was noting a moment ago, may we choose you, oh God. May we celebrate you, pursue you all the days of our life. And we pray this now in the name of that one God of Israel, that God of generations of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. Amen. May the blesser be blessed. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Conversations with Yael podcast. If you like what you have heard, please check out my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, that explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith with inspirational and ancient teachings. You can also visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. Follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next month.